We've been in the book of Deuteronomy for months now and uh, have been uh, following this account, these sermons that Moses preached at the end of his life in anticipation of the children of Israel going into the land. You read a little bit of, uh, we heard a little bit of the story there as uh, Francina read for us. And uh, we've, this last few weeks, we've been talking about blessing, uh, what, the, what the word blessing means. So last week, we talked about it in terms of the blessing that was given to the, to the nation of Israel, to the children of Israel, um, that as Moses prepared for his departure, he'd been setting them up for success in the land. To do that, he gave them three things. He gave them the word of the law. Um, he gave them, he called upon heaven and earth to be a witness to them. So the word of the law was special revelation. Uh, heaven and earth as general revelation that would speak to the greatness of God and the need of humanity for God. So he gave them those two things and he gave them a song. We kind of talked about that, you know, that's a little bit strange. Um, but what I did was I tried to, um, I tried to maybe rewrite this into a more contemporary vernacular, something that, that you and I could maybe could approach and took this, this chorus that I think we can find, this theme that's been throughout the book and kind of comes back then um, in this song, Deuteronomy chapter 32, the song of Moses, it comes back and it just, it just it's this line, it's God is faithful. And we can sing that together. God is faithful. I will proclaim the name of the Lord my God. God is faithful. He is the rock. All of his ways are good. God is God is faithful. Twisted and broken, ungrateful we, our generation. Remembering not all that God has done, He's our salvation. But God is faithful, God is God 
this invitation to sing the songs which speak of truth in our lives over and over and over again and to invite them to inform us, to instruct us. And this song um, was to instruct Israel uh, concerning how to live successfully in the land. It was to remind them of who God is and the brokenness of their lives. And so I asked this question, what are the songs that inform your life? Uh, what, what, are the, what are the tunes, what are the melodies, what are the lyrics that kind of play in the back of your mind and become kind of the soundscape that, that, that's instructing you, that's reminding you? And, and one of the things we try to do on Sundays when we gather as a church family is to provide uh, some of those possibilities uh, of, of lyrics that are true and melodies that are, are to be retained by us. What are the songs that you're singing? And then that kind of leads us into this, this last chapter, this last week in the book of Deuteronomy for now, and, and that is this question then, what are the stories that are framing your life? What are the narratives that you tell when you tell of the accounts of your life that are, that are telling the story? There are lots of ways to tell a story, are there not? What are the stories that you tell as you look at the events of your life? fact, you haven't lived long on the, in this world before you have experienced disappointment. You don't have to be very old to have experienced disappointment. And it has a tendency to inform the stories that we tell about our existence, about our lives. And this morning, uh, we're, we're going to explore this reality uh, of living with disappointment in our lives. What do we do with disappointment? Uh, what do we how do we progress in spite of the disappointments that seem to amass in, in any one of our lives? And so last Sunday, we kind of looked at, at, at passing on this blessing to the younger generation. This week, maybe we're talking to some of us who are of a little bit older generation. Uh, we're all moving in that direction, friends, just in case you were wondering. How can we, how can we live with blessing, the kind of blessing that was being described by Moses for uh, God's people in a world that so often disappoints us. Moses was 120 years old, and he had experienced his share of disappointment, maybe more than his share of disappointment. Um, he just preached this final sermon, coaching this younger generation before him concerning how to live successfully in the land that they were to go into. And by any measure, Moses had lived a life that was successful. Like a life that, that you would say, man, like this guy was, was raised in, in Pharaoh's court as a son of one of the princesses of, of Egypt. He, he had the Ivy League education, all the benefits of that. 
made a mistake uh, early in that and killed an Egyptian um, soldier who is, was abusing uh, one of his own people, uh, uh, one of the children of Israel, had to run because of that. But even in that, ran to Moab and, and ended up connecting up with this wealthy business guy named Jethro and marrying his daughter and caring for his sheep for 40 years. And like, you know, you could see that God was at work. And, and then there's this this extraordinary turn of events where God meets him in the burning bush and, and says, look, I want you to go back. I hear my people crying out for relief. And the time has come. The time is now. Um, come and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so you maybe recall the account. He goes back to Egypt, Exodus chapter 3, tells, tells this new Pharaoh who's, who's now in charge, let my people go. And, and it wasn't without difficulty, but ultimately Pharaoh relents. And, and, and then they get to the edge of the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh changes his mind, sends his armies after him, his best chariots, his best fighters, sends them after them, and God stands between the armies of Egypt and the children of Israel, and then clears this way across the Red Sea that they walk on dry land to the other side, and Pharaoh's armies are utterly destroyed. It's like, oh my goodness, how God showed up in this guy's life. I mean, who, who could ever hope to be used in such extraordinary ways? That, they got to the Mount Seir, or sorry, Mount Sinai, or, or Mount Horeb, otherwise not called, received the Ten Commandments, significant instructions for the children of Israel. You can safely say that, that there has been no individual who is more influential in shaping the life of the people of Israel than Moses. He, he was a prophet, he was a leader, he was their shepherd, he was their caregiver. By any measure, you would say this was a successful life. And yet he lived with significant disappointment. Several times throughout that positive narrative that I just described, people rebelled against him. Got up in his face, you just brought us here to die. You know, what kind of leader are you? Uh, once his brother and sister actually turned against him and, and, and disowned him, uh, worked against his purposes. Um, in the midst of all that complaining and whining and so on, there was an incident that came when Moses sinned against God, didn't do what God said, and that led him to, led God to say, look, you're not going to go into the land. You have, you have violated my direction to you, uh, and have identified yourself with this former generation. So you're not going to go into the land. Some scholars have looked at that and said, actually, it, 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 the, there's enough evidence that there was bitterness in his heart um, th that it may well be that God said, that can't be seeded in the new land. So, so you're going to have to stay outside of the land. And so we, we read it earlier. Francina read it for us. Um, God says, but prepare Joshua, uh, son of Nun, because he's going to lead them into the land. And you could say, well, there are several ways you could go with that. Um, you could, you know, find a cabin someplace and lick his wounds and say, nuts to this world. Um, 
What, what's the narrative of your life painting? How are you, how are you thinking about the circumstances uh, that you have been in? I think there's an opportunity for us to, to look at the life of Moses and, and to find some instruction from it. So here are kind of three things that I've observed in this journey, of, of, of this journey with Moses. The first was the observation that in our disappointment, we are not alone. We're not alone. Uh, now, if you, if you want to pull out your sermon notes and follow along, this is the outline there. Maybe make a few notes as we go along. But in this journey, you're not alone. Secondly, disappointment is real. Something we need to, to, to wrestle with. And, and then thirdly, this is not the end. Uh, the final chapter of the story has not yet been written to your life. Here would be kind of the big idea this morning, and that is this. God is faithful, and he calls us to be faithful. You could maybe look at that and say, well, that's a little stoic. Like, that, I'm not sure I really like that. So maybe here's another way that we can, can, can understand that. God's faithfulness counters my disappointment. We serve a God who has become an expert, perhaps out of necessity, at taking broken and painful stories and turning them into victories. God's in the business of turning the disappointment in this world into victory. So start with this. We're, we're not alone in our disappointment. Um, if we follow the narratives through the pages of Scripture, we will find that, that virtually every, uh, every hero, uh, every anti-hero that we encounter in the pages of Scripture experienced significant reversals had to manage enormous disappointments in the middle of their lives. The question was, how would they frame those stories? How would they think about those stories? How would they make sense of the narrative that is the story they would tell of their lives? So if we went back to Abraham, we would find that God was faithful to Abraham. There's a couple of ways we could tell the story of Abraham. You know, there's the, there's the positive way we can talk about it. This is a man who is the patriarch and the founder of the nation of Israel, through whom God would bring his remedy for the brokenness of our world. He would bring Jesus through that family tree. He founded the nation. That's a pretty good story. That's a pretty good, story. That's a pretty good legacy to leave behind. Or we could frame the story of Abraham as the guy who, who in his lifetime never received anything that was promised to him, at least not in a timely way. Like, never received the land as an inheritance. He only kind of journeyed through it. Didn't, he was, you know, like in senior years when the child that had been promised to him finally came. Coochie, coochie, coo, let's play. <laughs> right? Like, didn't get to enjoy that child through his younger years as a man. He was a man who dealt with disappointment and, and how he framed that figured significantly into what he did with that disappointment. I've recounted briefly Moses' life. Moses, this guy who was a prophet of God, a shepherd of God's people, a writer of God's law, most influential individual in the history of Israel. That's a pretty decent way to frame his story. Or we could talk about him as the guy who didn't get what he most wanted in life. He wanted to cross into the promised land with these stubborn people that he led all of his life. And because of those doggone stubborn people, he didn't get to go. 
How do we frame the stories of our life? How do we understand what is going on? How have you, how have you framed the, the account of your life? What, what are the narratives that you tell? When you go back and there was this and there's that and there was... Is, is it painful memory after painful memory after painful memory, which anticipates more painful memories in the future. That's one way many people choose to to tell the story of their lives. Or or is it painful memory, but God met me and created something new or different than anticipated, never would have seen that coming. And painful occurrence, we live in a broken world, friends, a broken circumstance, and then God created something I didn't anticipate, could never have seen that coming in the midst of it. One of the problems in the middle of our world is that when people go year after year, decade after decade, never recognizing that that God, the creator of our world, wants to intercept their lives, they can't see where he actually has already done so. This morning I'm going to invite you to, to... Perhaps adopt a new narrative to to the encounter of your life. Uh, It may mean going back and rewriting some of the story because you have understood it in error. There's a story going on that you maybe now are beginning to catch a a glimpse of or maybe by faith they're going to have to reach out for because you don't have the full picture yet of what's going on. God was faithful to to Abraham. He was faithful to Moses God will be faithful to you. He is faithful to you. Now, there are several ways that you can write your story. As I said, the Apostle Paul was one who was involved in the writing the narrative of his life, writing the story of his life. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He says, and hope does not disappoint us. And yet I know some of you would say, actually, hope was the problem. If I hadn't hoped for something, I wouldn't have been disappointed. And yet Paul says, hope does not disappoint us. He says, look, there is a place to anchor your hope, which will not ever disappoint you if you will keep your eyes fixed in that place on that one who is worthy of your hope. We talk about that as faith. Faith is securing our hope in one who is worthy. One of the greatest problems we have in our world is that we tend to secure our hope in things that are not worthy. They could never possibly support us. The job that we thought we would get, the marriage we thought would be perfect, the child that we were sure was going to raise, grow up to be just like us. (laughs) You know, I mean, we secure our hope. We secure our hope in things that are unworthy of those, of security. Paul says, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless. Now there's a narrative point in the midst of the telling of the story. At just the right time when we were still powerless. And we say, couldn't I have seen it coming? Couldn't he have shown me? Why did God, why didn't he show? We don't know. But I guarantee you this, at just the right time, 
Now, Paul here is talking about God's intervention in the history of the world to bring hope and bring rescue, and yet it's completely appropriate that we would tie that to our own rescue, that we would say at just the right time, God is going to visit you with exactly what you need, and it's probably not what you expect. may not be what you want, but it will be what you need to carry the narrative of his work in you ahead, the next step. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a man, a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still estranged from God, maybe would give him never, would, wouldn't give him any, never mind. What, at, we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, that friends, is, is the framing narrative of my life. Now, I'm not saying I stay in there all the time. I'm just saying that's, that's, that's the way I want my entire life to be seen. It's the way I want to view everything that's happened in the past, everything that's happening now, everything that will happen in the future through this work that at just the right time, Christ died for me. And it was in his love that, that he made it possible for me to walk with him. He poured his love into my heart. And, and, and that can be the framing narrative of your life too. But the fact remains that we live with disappointment. Disappointment is real. Don't, please do not misunderstand me as saying that somehow you should try to live in some kind of fantasy land that does not exist. That is not at all what I'm saying. The biblical way to deal with our, our discouragements is not to ignore them. It's not to deny that they're there. That was a real hurt. That was a genuine loss. It was painful. That was an injury that has left a scar in your life. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to... There's a time when the church, when we as followers of Jesus need to do what Jesus has called the church to do, and that is to, to linger with one another in our pain. In the genuineness of the disappointment, in the genuineness of the loss that is there, that we would be willing to linger with one another. Uh, the corollary is that there is a time when you will need to reach out to someone else and say, would you, would you just sit, would you just linger with me in my, dis in my, in my, my sadness? I, I, I'm sad, this is difficult, it's real. Um, we don't do a very good job of this in, in the 21st century Western culture. We, we don't want to feel badly. So, you know, we take a couple of aspirins to make sure that we don't feel badly very long. You know, we expect people to kind of get over it quickly. Um, you know, we want to shush them. Uh, surely they should be beyond that by now. And yet we live in, in, in a world where bad things happen. I mean, just this past year, in the life of our church family, we've had marriages fail. We've had a full-term baby die just before delivery. We've had businesses collapse. We've had people lose jobs, others struggling to find better jobs. We've had dear friends experience major reversals of health. They're sad. These are painful. 
And if we ever wondered, what did Moses do with the, the pain in his life, the disappointments that were part of his life, we get a little hint in the book of Psalms. Um, it is thought that Psalm 90 was written by Moses. It's a corporate psalm of lament. Now, if you were here with us in January, uh, Dr. Gordon T. Smith was a guest speaker, spoke on lament, spoke from Psalm 22. So this is, if you want to look it up, Sunday, uh, January 28th, 2018. It's saved on our website under resources. Psalm 22, that psalm that Jesus took on his lips on the cross as he cried out in complaint against God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Moses, lament, so if you were to categorize the entire book of Psalms, all the Psalms there, Psalms of thanksgiving, Psalms of praise, largest single category are Psalms of lament. I think there's something we need to learn if we're, if we're in an era of church history, of, of, of human culture, where, we, where, we're, where we're, we struggle to know what to do with pain, with difficulty, surely, surely the Psalms are calling us to attend to it. Moses seems to have left us one, Psalm 90, and, and it's, it's to serve you in this capacity. If you're in a season of your life where you're experiencing disappointment, Moses invites you to pray these words. Take his words as yours and pray them. Now, if you're in a season where you're on cloud nine, like everything is upward and to the right, then Moses is inviting you to pause in the midst of all of your successes and celebrations and to linger for a while with someone who's not. I've broken the psalm up into sort of little segments. Um, uh, there are some that are marked as all. That's for you to say. Um, and then there are some that are marked for leader. That's for me to say. Okay, we'll take turns. And we'll receive, read this responsibly. Would you stand with me? But honestly, as we work our way through this, if you say, I've got to sit down for this, or I need to kneel for this, uh, please feel free to do so. But here is, is Psalm 90. Let's us pray these words uh, of Moses together. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our help generation after generation before the mountains were born before you birthed the earth and the inhabited world, from forever in the past to forever in the future, you are God. You return people to dust. Then go back, humans, because in your perspective, a thousand years are like yesterday past, like a short period during the night watch. You sweep humans away like a dream like grass that is renewed in the morning. True, in the morning it thrives renewed, but come evening it withers all dried up. Yes, we are wasting away because of your wrath. We are paralyzed with fear on account of your rage. You put our sins right in front of you, set our hidden faults in the light from your face. Yes, all our days slip away, because of your fury, we finish up our years with a whimper. We live at best to be 70 years old, maybe 80, we're strong. But their duration brings hard work and trouble because they go by so quickly. And then we fly off. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? The honor that is due you corresponds 
to your wrath. Teach us to number our days so we can have a wise heart. Come back to us, Lord. Please, quickly, have some compassion for your servants. Fill us full every morning with your faithful love so we can rejoice and celebrate our whole life long. Make us happy for the same amount of time that you afflicted us, for the same number of years that we saw only trouble. Let your acts be seen by your servants. Let your glory be seen by their children. Let the kindness of the Lord our God be over us. Make the work of our hands last. Make the work of our hands last. All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Um, our daughter Christy and I watched a movie uh, the other evening. It stars uh, Amy Adams um, as a, a scientist named Louise. Uh, the movie's called uh, Arrival. And it's this kind of science fiction y kind of story where. Um, Aliens land on Earth in their big gray egg kind of thing. And um, Amy Adams' character, Louise, is charged to be able to figure out how to communicate with these people. Like, you know, no points of... It's quite a fascinating little thing. In the process of her trying to figure out how to communicate with these aliens, um, uh, Amy is, um, Amy's character, Louise, is given the opportunity to see the future. Of her life. Would you, would you want to know the future of, of what's your life? You know, what's going to happen? What the implications of those decisions would be? You know, what's going to be five years, ten years, fifty years from now? I mean, Moses has, Moses has, in a sense, been given prophetic insight into what was going to come. He knew the children of Israel would struggle. He knew God would be faithful to them. He was given insight to, to look and see. Uh, Amy Adams' character uh, was given uh, the ability to see a future. She, she could see the husband that at that point in time she didn't have and the divorce that would come. Uh, she would see the daughter that would be born to her that at that point in time she didn't have and her death from cancer. And by the time you got to the end of the movie, this question is kind of lingering. Are you willing to live this life anyway? God made the choice, though he knew what was coming, that he would continue. He made the choice to create. He made the choice to sustain. He made the choice to call a people out of brokenness through the nation of Israel. He made these choices. Moses could look ahead. He could see the future. My answer to that, Christy and I debriefed on this afterward. My answer, my answer was this. Yes, as long as Jesus is with me, as long as there's one who is writing the grand narrative of this world is enabling me to write the mini-narrative, which is my life. Yes, yes, I will live this, whatever comes. Moses was able to look forward to the future in one sense, didn't know exactly how it was all going to shake down, but he knew God is faithful and he would care for them. We get the privilege of looking back historically on that Christ event and we can say, God is faithful. And he has chosen 
to indwell each and every one of his followers, to live in us and live through us. And we get to say, God is faithful. I'm changing key. I'm sorry for those of you who have perfect pitch. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, the same one who said, um, hope does not disappoint in, uh, in Romans chapter 8, he says this. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So, so, so how is it that hope does not disappoint? Because hope is utterly grounded in a faithful God. One who is utterly faithful and is utterly consistent and, and, and willing to... to to live this through, to follow it through, he sees beginning from the end. And he is at work in the midst of your circumstance, no matter how bleak it seems, no matter how dark that hole seems to be that you are in. And he invites you to look to him. If God who is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is Paul talking about the narrative of his life. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord. I know that, that, that some of you are struggling with enormous disappointments. A business that's failing. A, a child that's, that's rebellious and defiant. Maybe even, maybe even vindictive. A parent who doesn't understand you or has maybe become difficult. A neighbor that's ranting, a spouse that's leaving. And you know that we haven't lived long in this world before we encounter disappointment. The question is, what will you do with it? How will you tell the story of your life? You're not alone. Disappointment is real, but friends, this is not the end. This is not the end. There's so much more yet to be written. Your story is not yet complete. The evidence is there from the biblical narratives. Those who have gone before us would testify. Abraham would say it was 400 years before they actually inherited the land. He died in anticipation of what would come. Moses, Moses died not being able to go into the land, but the people would in the next generation. The story was not yet done. And based on that, we can say, do you know what? For every one of you, there is a humdinger of an ending coming. This is going to be one great celebration. We sang about it. Uh, we'll sing about it in a few minutes. When we step into eternity and we begin to see what God was really up to. If you frame the storytelling of your life around Jesus, what he's done for you, friends, the best is yet to come. Let me read one more time 
the closing bit of, of Deuteronomy chapter 34. And, and just listen to it perhaps with these sort of fresh glasses on. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Now, you, you'll recall the part just before this. Francina read it for us. Um, he went up the mountain. He could see the Mediterranean. He could see, it was an amazing vista that he could see the, the south of the land, the north of the land, all points between. It was amazing grace from God. Wasn't going to get to go into the land, but he got to see it. Um, another grace from God was told in that part that Francina read for us. It says God buried him. Only person in all of Scripture that that is said of. And they don't know where the grave is. Now, this is a guy who grew up in the Ivy League schools of Egypt, where when you died, you built a pyramid to yourself, you built a sphinx to yourself because you made sure that you were remembered. I don't know where his grave was. 120 years old when he died, his eyesight wasn't impaired and his vigor hadn't diminished a bit. Back down in Moabite plains, the Israelites mourned Moses' death for 30 days. At that point, the time for weeping and mourning Moses was over. And Joshua, Nun's son, was filled with wisdom because Moses had placed his hands on him. Now, we read this earlier. God had told Moses way back, and we read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 1, that he wasn't going to go into the land, but he says Joshua is going to go into the land. So invest in this young guy. Invest in this leader, because he is, he is going to carry the baton forward. Uh, apparently he did. He laid his hands on him. He invested in him, prayed for him, anticipated what God would do through him. Though his story looked like it was coming to an end, this story would continue on. Filled with wisdom because Moses had placed his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to Joshua and they did exactly what the Lord commanded Moses. No prophet like Moses has yet emerged in Israel. So, so we're listening to the editors who've taken Moses' sermons and pulled them together into the, the, the composite that is the book of Deuteronomy. And he's making observation. Uh, no prophet like Moses has yet emerged in Israel. Now that was a statement that was anticipation of a prophet who would arise, who would actually be greater than Moses, and his name is Jesus. It was an anticipation of one who would come and, and make it possible for us to walk in right relationship with the Father, even in the midst of the screwed up decisions we make, even in the midst of the broken world in which we live that, 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 that falls around us often inflicting injury on us. The one who would say, I will take your broken record as my own. You take my perfect record and live before the Father justified, just as if you've never sinned, just as if you've always obeyed. No prophet like Moses has yet emerged in Israel. Moses knew the Lord face to face. That's not even to mention all those signs and wonders that the Lord sent Moses to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, all his servants, and to his entire land, as well as all the extraordinary power that Moses displayed before Israel's own eyes. The fact of the matter was that the story of Moses was going to continue. It was going to continue through Joshua as they entered the land. It would continue as the children of Israel, even in the midst of all of their messed up ways of thinking and defiant ways of living, 
would become that through which God would bring the Messiah. He would bring the rescuer. And, 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 and we read about that through the, the pages of the Gospels. We read about that then as the church is established in the book of Acts. We read about that in the letters that coach us on how to be the, the new people of God living in the land that God has given us. We read about the influence of Moses. Moses continues. The story of his life continues to be written even in us today as the church. And Moses stood on the plains of Moab pleading with the children of Israel, hang in there, hang in there. Your story is not yet complete. And and it's a beautiful story, particularly if you will live in covenant obedience to God. If you, this was the gospel according to Moses, as some have described the book of Deuteronomy. This was him saying, rescue is coming. God is faithful. Friends, how will you write the story of your life? How will you rewrite those parts that maybe need to be revisited because you've, you've made some wrong conclusions. You, you've, you've written a story that doesn't have Jesus in it and he wants, you to, he wants you to start a rewrite and begin to think about those things in new ways because there is one who's made it possible to do so.